0: Hello, I'm Terry Rowlands and I'm speaking to you from Dublin in Ireland, and you're at the Point of Learning with my friend Peter Horne. When President Biden recently visited Ireland, he explained that he quotes Irish poets as often as he does because he believes our poets are the greatest poets. While he may not be wrong about that, the US definitely does have some pretty good podcasts and you're listening today to one of my favorites. Stay tuned for Beats conversation with Grammy Award-winning, multi-talented performance artist, Rindy Eckhart and enjoy the show.
1: On today's show... What happened for me, which was the larger issue was that all of this stuff became a metaphor for everything else I was doing. Rindy
2: Eckert, an award-winning artist who has been reconsidering the basics of
1: performance. Every instrument is the same way. Let the instrument tell you when it's time. But, but first, it's establish integrity. Always try and play with integrity. And what is integrity? Then you have to ask, what is integrity? Well, integrity is-, is the wedding of intention with action.
2: He shares some of his strategies for engaging the humility of the beginner's mind.
1: We would do this thing where I would have them dance. And then I'd say, I want you to dance badly. They have to think about what is dancing badly. So already they're in their bodies in a very different way because they're not thinking about the model of dancing. They're now thinking about what, how do I, you know, how do I contort myself? What's my relationship to the rhythm?
2: All that and much more. So let's go. Randy Eckert is a celebrated writer, composer, librettist, musician, performer, and director. But I'm not sure even this list of roles captures his extraordinary versatility. Just within the past year, for example, Rindy has danced with the San Francisco Company, he played a benefit with a jazz ensemble in New York, he composed the score for a new play, he composed a new song for an old Shakespeare play, he sang lead in the premiere of a technically grueling yet gorgeous opera about Robert Moses and Jane Jacobs, he played an Irish warden in his wife's update of Antigone called Kissing the Floor. I got to see that one in New York awesome. And he taught interdisciplinary art as he has done at Princeton University, the University of California, University of Iowa, and numerous other schools across the U.S. Rindy has won a Grammy, was a finalist for a Pulitzer, is a Guggenheim Fellow, and has been my friend for more than 20 years, which poses a problem this host has had the good fortune to encounter several times before. Rindy is someone I've wanted to talk with since I began dreaming about the possibility of a podcast. The trouble is that the better I know someone, the more conversations we've had without microphones, the more I worry that we could just get to talking about anything. After I made an episode featuring his wife and frequent collaborator, Ellen McLaughlin, last fall, I got serious about overcoming this challenge. And he and I decided to focus on his recent project of rebuilding his piano technique from the ground up. Now this is an artist who can play as many instruments as I can name, and here he is, a critically acclaimed musician, trying to forget everything he knows, and approaching piano study as if he were a total novice. We spoke in early March at his home just outside New York City. as you continue to have this career where it's been decades now, creating original work, touring with it, um, premiering other people's original work, performing in it um, all throughout this country, all around the world, here at the age of 70, you are in this project of taking apart your technique in the piano and rebuilding it from the ground up. You're approaching it again with the with the beginner's mind, so I wanted to start with, what's that like, and what what inspired you to to take on this project?
1: Well, COVID was a big okay. was a big impetus, but I had started the project before, and I had always anticipated. I was getting to the point. I'd been playing piano a lot, and I'd been I'd been mostly you know my. I would read through the well tempered clavier. That was, and I would read through a lot of Bach, mostly Bach, at night. And that was just, and that was just. Going
2: through, and because we're sitting at the piano, of course, you can feel free as you're inspired to uh, you know, <laughs> g- to give us a few bars of anything as you're. I mean, by means of illustration. It's well, kind of fun. you know,
1: I, th- there there's I would so have many times
2: with an audio podcast that somebody's <laughs> describing a picture and I, I can't would have show my, that to know, them. My, but here we are at your beautiful Steinway.
1: <laughs> and one of the impetus is actually this piece, this particular piece, which is. Um, the C sharp, this, I was just playing it yeah, the other, yeah, I was just playing this. Where I? Did I lose it? Where did my, oh, here it
2: is. C sharp is left. Yes, yeah, so there we go.
1: so on and so yep. forth. So it was it was in the beauty of that, and occasionally, occasionally I would play it well. Occasionally I was I felt like I played it well and I didn't know why. I couldn't repeat it. I would have one night when suddenly I was in touch with the instrument in a way that was surprising to me. And to Ellen who was listening, and this was a because I did this at night. That was always before I go to bed it was like Go in, read through some Bach, whether it's Bach sweets, English or French sweets, or, you know, um, the um, or the Goldberg variations or or the uh, uh, inventions or or the inventions. Yeah. yeah. Um, Partitas, too, I would go through. And so it was just a, a thing. And every once in a while I'd hit it and she would go, well, that was good. (laughs) <laughs> I said, I said, it was like it was like a comment on well yeah i, I it, hear you it was okay before but and she was right you know she was she has a really good ear and she was right that was different and it was wonderful because she was listening and she would notice now that was different you know that was good and i go yeah and then i i was finally i i said i don't know I don't know how to get there on a regular basis. I, 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 I know it's in there. Right. I know I can get there. How do I get there? I said, no. And then she said, you know, I have this friend Adrian, uh, who I grew up with. Who's a, who was a like a concert pianist, and then decided to be a teacher. And uh, she's apparently a very good teacher. And I said, well, I don't know. You know, she's probably way above my league, out of my league, and, um, but. Uh, you know, I kept thinking, well, I'm going to call Adrian, Adrian Serkin. So I called up Adrian, and I went in, and I finally said, you know, I'm, I want to figure out how I can play. She said, well, play something for me, and I started out. And I played that, not actually that well, but, but I, I played the whole air of the Goldberg Variations for her, and her response was, well, you know what's remarkable is how how uh, your musical ideas are coming through even though you have no technique and then she, and she said so shall we shall we get you some technique <laughs> and so it, so
2: it's a basic talk for a non pianist like what would what would constitute piano technique uh, as she was referring to it
1: well that you know that was what I needed to know. <laughs> because obviously i didn't understand what what piano technique actually was as it turns out it's a it's a lesson in life is what it is all right in and in adrian's um adrian's hands it's a lesson in life and she said how deep do you want to go first lesson in life how deep do you want to go in your relationship to this instrument and i said i got nothing to lose i'm not ever going to be a virtuoso pianist i i I don't perform on this instrument i mean i perform but it's always i'm i'm playing for myself singing so it's not like i have to be a you know virtuoso but i i want to i would love to be able to accompany myself well at some points on some leader if i wanted to or a or a song just to feel like like I german art songs yeah Yeah, or or my own songs just being able to play well the accompaniment well and but I have no pretensions I just I, I want to do as deep a dive as I can do and I said you know what I'd love to be able to do is play the second movement of Bach's D minor piano concerto really well it's a beautiful thing and I thought I want to be able to play that so well that it's indistinguishable from a real pianist that would be great I can mass if I can get to that point where a slow movement, I'm never going to be able to play really fast uh, with any degree of integrity, but I would, I would love to be able to just sit down and feel like, man, I just, you know, Bach was happy with that. So she said, okay, let's go. But uh, if you're really serious, we're going to have to, you're going to have to drop everything you're doing. So I had to close the well-tempered clavier. like you know, I put the books away, just put them away, said you can't can't do that now. You have to rebuild your hand because your hand is, has habits. We have to break the habits. So you, you say, well, I have a strong determination to do this. And so she said, okay, good. Then I, we stopped. And, and so, you know, we, we defined the project, which was deep dive. Great. I'm, and then you, you agree to the terms of that deep dive. You say, you go with a master who says, in this case, Adrian, who says, here's what it takes to do the deep dive from my long experience shepherding people through, through this process. So I, you submit to the, to the teacher and you say, OK, and you try and, and I had to master my impatience, which is really my one of my great life failings. And uh, if I can, if I can master that at the end of my life. But this is one way to do it. And we started by just my relationship, just sitting at the piano. Look, let's look at the keyboard. What is that? That's, you know, that, that's this mechanical thing. It's in a row and she said, and it's straight. All the keys are lined up. Everything's very lined up. It's very orderly, very, very even. All the keys are like in the right, You know in the right place they're in a straight line all the way now look at your hand now what do you notice about your hand well the distance between the fingers is you know that's not straight so how are you going to turn this organic and odd thing into a thing that plays this very straight on this very straight line well what are you going to curl your fingers so, so, cause your thumb is way out here. your Thumb is way out there. It's two inches away from your next finger. So in order to get those fingers together to play next to each other, what's gonna happen? How do you, how does your thumb and your index finger, how do they, how do you get them on that keyboard? So, uh, so that was what we started with. After just getting our relationship placing my hand on the keyboard, just getting used to placing my hand on the keyboard while keeping some weight in the arm and working on constantly reinforcing the connection, energy connection in the body, so that the body is always, you know, if you, you move slightly forward, so the whole body responds. It's not just the arm that responds. The whole body responds when, you, when, the, when the hand goes to the piano. If you go up, The body moves with it. So everything is the dance of this energy through your arm into the keyboard. But what happened for me, which was the larger issue, was that all of this stuff became a metaphor for everything else I was doing. Every other instrument benefited. Um, I discovered that I wasn't actually playing every note. I was glossing over some notes and we would do a scale and she would say well you didn't play the G. And I I had, technically I played it but yeah, I hadn't actually my finger hadn't actually gotten to the depth of that particular sound. She said you have to play every note. That's what you hear in great pianists. Every note is played.
2: Would you be able to simulate with a scale what it's like to I mean you can you can take a couple of passes you don't have to get it on yeah. the first you don't have to get it on the first time well, but just you know, to if, like just to see
1: if, if uh, uh I'll try and get on. That was sloppy. So it's. I'm kind of glossing over the notes. That's much better. And then you try and. And the, one of the things she said too was let the piano tell you when it's time to go fast. Let it, and that's true of the drums too. You, you're also trying to figure out how fast can I go before the integrity breaks down? And you have to define integrity by going slowly enough to understand what, what the integrity of that is. And then you start pushing the, you might push the, the drum will tell you suddenly it'll want to go fast. And um, every instrument is the same way. Let the instrument tell you when it's time, but. But first, it's establish integrity, always try and play with integrity, which meant, and what is integrity? Then you have to ask, what is integrity? Well, integrity is is the wedding of intention with action.
2: So Randy's elegant working definition of integrity and in performance is the wedding of intention with action. In other words, there's a marriage between what you're trying to do as a performer and what you actually do. I asked him about how he, as a teacher, challenged students to interrogate their own ideas about integrity.
1: I taught uh, interdisciplinary theater at uh, Princeton for about uh, six, seven years. And... Um, my class, uh, we often—I—I I, I was trying to get them to understand. Uh, and we were talking about acting and being on the stage, and and, and um, so one of the f- first things I do is I have them dance. Just I have them move their bodies, just because they need to move their bodies because the blood is not flowing. It was—we had morning classes, and uh, Friday morning, it was like everybody was just, you know. Comes after Thursday yeah, night. Yeah, exactly. Big night. And uh, so they were not ready to think or do anything. Um, they were ready to to do what very smart kids like kids at Princeton do, which is they know what thinking looks like, <laughs> and they can approximate thinking, <laughs> and they're very facile at that. And then. <laughs> What you try and do is You've expose. the academic career of it in some cases. Yeah, yeah. What, they're they're basically rehashing what somebody else thought. You know, it's not really their thinking. Yeah, they're not thinking. They're just rehashing what they know other people think about something.
2: Just popping in for a second to say that although I didn't study with Rindy when I was in college, I did attend Princeton as an undergraduate, and I identify with kids who sometimes rehash other people's ideas as if they were original thoughts. I was one of those kids. (laughs) I'm sharing this less as a humble brag about the college I was lucky enough to attend, and more as an explanation for my extra giggling in through here. I felt seen
1: We would do this thing where I would have them dance. And uh, then I'd say, I want you to dance badly. So then I would put on music and have them dance badly. And then then it was fun. We'll
2: just double click because, again, I think the Princeton context is important. Yeah. You're asking for a subpar, a suboptimal performance from kids who are trained not to do that. Right. (laughs) Okay.
1: So they're trying to dance badly. And very often, uh, I'm, tellin- I'm exhorting them while they're doing this, that no, it's not bad enough. <laughs> worse, worse than that, worse than that. So they, they have, to have to figure out, they have to think about what is dancing badly. So al- already they're in their bodies in a very different way because they're not thinking about the model of dancing. Uh-huh now they're now thinking about what how do i you know how do i contort myself what what's my relationship to the rhythm all of a sudden there is music there is music
2: for this exercise or or just they're dancing to or dancing they're dancing they're (laughs) they're dancing against largely
1: we talk about you know dancing against the against the impulse in the in the in the music okay so i i give them some instruction to keep them but then they have to do that and then i then once i'm satisfied they've got something going then i say now let's exaggerate that by uh, by 50% and that's an interesting equation then they have to think about what is it that i'm <laughs> Thank exaggerating God, there's some math. <laughs> yeah. so and then they have to figure out how they're exaggerating and they're lost in the process and their bodies now are wild and you know they're lost in the process of like getting <laughs> this thing uh, monster to to um, as you know 150% of like bad um, and then then the, the exercise I say okay let's bring it back to 125 and then I start I and then hundred and I, very often I will solo them at this point I will solo someone so that everybody can see the process so I'll say okay you uh, and uh, you know um, now that And particularly people who are very grotesque—it's great because then you can see. And now 125 percent. Then we go back. Now, now do that 100 100 percent again. And now let's go to 95. Then I start, I start bringing them down to, and I get 90, 80, 70, 50 percent of what you were doing.
2: Are you tricking them into dancing well? I'm tricking
1: them into dancing well. (laughs) And at a certain point. And, but there are two. There are two aspects of this. But one is that I'm tricking them into dancing well, and they, and they're they and they're working. no longer thinking about dancing at all. And it's working. because yes, it's because working. they're not because, because they're, they're not. not thinking. They're about. not thinking about. <laughs> about dancing at all. They're just thinking about what they have to do to get the job done.
2: <laughs> they're working on fractions. Yeah, yeah. they're working they're, on <laughs> the fractions, and
1: their body is just respond. And, and that finally, we get down to like five percent. And and, you know, they're moving you can't see this, but there's, you know, their their bodies. And I and I tell them, I want you to keep the image of of what that was in order for you to be acting at five percent. You have to have an idea of what that was initially. So you have to keep the image of the grotesque dance at 100 percent so that you understand what five percent is. So they have a, you know, their minds are, <laughs> you know, involved in this and, you know, and, so, and they start moving and sometimes in these really tiny ways, it's only 5%, but you see the, it's like the, there's an impulse in the body that's, that's it's like a shorthand of this large thing. And by now, the rest of the class is like watching this dance and they're fascinated. And it's so clear the rest of the room is completely wrapped. And they're watching this, this dance. And uh, I say, okay, let's talk about this. You know, um, we were all fascinated. It was clear everyone was like completely absorbed in your movement. And, and why is that? What, what is it about that? That at a certain point, and then, you know, I said, I think about 20, at at about 20%, this started getting really interesting, really good. And we all started like just, we were in the project. We uh, We were waiting for the next chapter. 15%, what's that? It's 10%. We were all like, so two things were going on. We were taking you to a point where your capacities, your physical capacity, Matched completely uh, The image you had in your head in other words you 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 are dancing this well Your body is not out of balance your body is in balance and most of the time people become extremely balanced They start their bodies look like they're on the earth. They look like they're balanced that they it's it's as if you said You know just you know sway back and forth now less 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 you have to define what is, how much weight goes one way, how much weight goes the other way, and you keep on narrowing it until finally. But what you're doing is like teaching the, yourself about balance.
2: So that's kind of swaying like the pendulum yeah. of a grandfather clock yeah, exactly. or something like that. Yeah.
1: You suddenly go, oh, you know, because you 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 actually took the time to assess your balance point, and you didn't think about I'm assessing my balance point. You thought. I'm going left, and I'm going right, and I'm now I'm going less left, and less right, and less. But you're, that's an assessment right there. It's less this direction, and more that direction, less this direction, less that direction, less this direction. Finally, you're balanced. You know, but the project had nothing to do with your idea of balance. It's like saying to someone who's never, who doesn't know how to relax, relax. They don't know how to relax. You know? Well,
2: well <laughs> so, sometimes even if you do know how to relax, yeah. the point where somebody's telling you to relax, that's not like... Exactly. first on exactly. your list. Exactly, that's not first right on then. your list. <laughs> right.
1: There was one other aspect which I turned to the rest of the students and I said, there's another aspect to this that we're not thinking about. That's important, which is we just taught the audience how to see this dance. We taught you how to look at it. You know, you knew how to look at this dance. You could enter it as an audience and be wrapped.
2: So the audience in this case would be when you're soloing people, the other students who are watching them, who are watching them,
1: who have now are fascinated by this dance. Now, what if we go into a situation where you as an audience aren't prepped? And this is all you see, you know. Now, if depending on what you're there to see, if you think you're there to see Hamlet, you may be totally confused and not enter, refuse to enter. They're just It's just odd behavior. You're not looking at it. You're not letting it play on you. So, how do we prepare people for this? How do we, how do we prepare people for... Now this has integrity. This has real dance kind of integrity. Within, but the, if if you don't understand the context of it, can we see that integrity?
2: Integrity again is the wedding of intention and yeah. action. And and I think one
1: actually there's another aspect to it, which is ability, your actual ability to to do it.
2: Well, this was the question I wanted to ask. So, for example, in a I'm sure it varied from class to class, you know, just in a generalized class about how many people would be comfortable with dance or movement, you know, have like kind of formal training with that as opposed to people who maybe just come at it more from an acting standpoint or something like how how comfortable were these when you talked about ability, this was my question, like uh-huh. how self-conscious were they to begin with in terms of using their bodies? To most ex- of these express,
1: most uh, of these people were not. Not dancers. I had some dancers uh, who were um, and they were some of my favorite students because they understood the power of abstraction within, you know, within the performance medium. They were they were they were happy with that with. Abstraction, they understood what the body can convey. They understood what space meant. So they were, but there was a small fraction of them.
2: Because this is what's, you know, this is what's interesting. There's gotta be some way, and and I feel like, you know, we were joking a little bit about the the use of percentages and probabilities, but of course, I think that probably served this very useful function of kind of short circuiting the mind's editing. I mean, you were talking about the mind-body relationship. If a kid goes into this and says like, I'm not really a dancer there's a way that you are kind of giving them something else to think about, mm-hmm. you know, instead of that doubt or anxiety, you know, neurosis even, depending on what it is, while they do this exercise, and it frees them up, it kind of liberates them. Is that... You, yeah, I think kind that... Of?
1: I, I think one of the things that bad dancing always did was it... It, it, it liberated the dancers as well from their... Because mm. uh, everyone was on the same footing. Because mm. we would have, if you had a dancer, they had to figure out, I have to dance badly, and I've been trying to dance, you know, gracefully oh, yes. or well or when I or I know how to dance, and and then you would, they would see that they're not as. Good, a bad dancer, as some. Of <laughs> That's
2: a great point. I hadn't. Yeah, yeah and okay. then
1: I did the same thing. Then we would we would do this regularly. Actually, it was it was a way of, of neutralizing their prejudices in a way uh, and putting them on this on equal footing.
0: Hi it's Terry again. My wife Elizabeth and I met Peter and his wife Robin when we were all touring Cuba in January 2019. A few weeks later Peter shared with me the podcast episode he made while in Cuba, which he called Learning from Cuba, which particularly looked at education in that island nation. I've been listening to Point of Learning ever since, as I particularly like receiving the American take on US education and related topics of interest. When Peter invited listeners to contribute a few dollars, or euros in my case, per month to the podcast, I signed up straight away because I enjoy hearing new and wide-ranging ideas about what and how and why we learn. If you're tempted to make a contribution of any amount, either per month or just once, let me remind you of what my fellow countryman, Oscar Wilde, wrote some time ago. He said, the only way to get rid of a temptation is to yield to it. Back to the show. Thanks, Terry.
2: Guru Mahagut. At the end of our conversation, Rindy presented another life lesson he drew from working on a scale, a B-flat major scale in this case. I wanna highlight this example because of my most influential performing arts teacher when I was in high school, my violin teacher, Thomas Halpin, star of Point of Learning episode number nine, When I was having trouble with some passage in an etude, a study, uh, or a concerto, Mr. Halpin liked to say a problem is still a problem until you can get into it and out of it. For confronting technical problems, he proposed a method memorable for its three initial I's, as in the letter I. Identify, isolate, integrate. This is so deep I've applied it to many other kinds of problems I've faced. First, identify or name the problem you're having, then isolate it to repair it, to really work on it. And then, crucially, integrate it, making sure that you can get into the passage and out of the passage successfully. All right, back to Rindy and that scale.
1: We were playing one passage and she said, well, I believe everything but the B-flat. It was a scale, you know, I was just playing this. And you know, she said, I I believe everything but the B flat and that, you know. And why why do you suppose that is? And I and she, she said, Well, how do you feel about that? What do you and I said, yeah, I know. It's a, I I don't understand it. I, I can't quite, I, I don't feel like I'm prepared for the B flat. And she said, but the problem isn't with the B flat. She said, the problem started on G. And it manifested itself by the B flat. So let's solve the, the the equation of the G to A that was started there and it was that's a life lesson too. this is you know, my problem with impatience by the time impatience manifests itself, you know, the problem is already there and I have to learn when that lack of consciousness begins. And sometimes it can be early. It can be like, oh, this is a concatenation of mistakes. It's like I started out the day out of balance and I never corrected. And now now I'm, I'm just a train wreck. I'm waiting just to the moment when I hit the penny on the tracks and, the, and everything goes off. And so it's like I, I this started way back then and I haven't corrected it reminds me of, of this thing in in Horizon. Horizon is a dazzling performance piece Rindy
2: developed in the early aughts where he plays a character based on the American theologian Reinhold Niebuhr. At one point the actors start to build the foundation of a wall one cinder block at a time.
1: In the piece there are these two ancient workers who are working on this foundation which never actually gets built but uh, at one point, I think in that, and it might, I, I believe that's in there too, is that idea of if you think that, that that foundation is perfect and that you don't have to make adjustments, the higher you build, the more grotesque the intrinsic errors are going to be, the more, the more they will manifest themselves until the thing topples over because you didn't make the initial correction. Your assumption was that it was perfect. And so you didn't bother making the corrections that you have to make as you build. You have to adjust for the fact that no layer of this foundation is going to be perfect. You're going to have to find the, you're going to have to adjust for the flaws. You're going to have to, it's not going to be the ideal thing that you you think it is. And so the day, it's like that day. It's like, okay, this is the first layer of the foundation and I've already started ignoring the flaws. So let's, let's look at the balance already, right away. And uh, I started, uh, you know, I, I started doing something which was helpful at one point. I should get back to it actually. So every morning I started and I looked at the fish on my shower curtain. There's a, we, yeah. this beautiful, you know, school of fish on the shower curtain. I said to myself, you know nothing. You know nothing. You know, this is a vast... This is your
2: pep talk? Yeah, this is your my pep talk. Aff- your affirmation? You,
1: abs- you know nothing. Let's start out with the, with the acknowledgement that you have no idea. You are a fish in water. You are an, in the ocean. And the ocean is like vast and unknowable and mysterious. And you can't possibly grasp the enormity of this. So let's start with that you are an ignorant thing in the middle of a large ocean so let's start there you know nothing about the piano now begin so it's beginner's mind so it's beginner's mind you begin and then what you have to remember is that every minute of the day there should be a recapitulation of (laughs) of your understanding of your own ignorance and I think that's what happens in when in acceptance, of, and your own acceptance of it, right?
2: And that's okay. You don't you know nothing and it's and, that and, that's, way, and that's the way it is. And that <laughs> way
1: you're not surprised. When, <laughs> when things don't turn out and you're not so therefore you're less you're less impatient because well of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got surprised because you know or it didn't didn't happen the way I thought it would happen because yeah, of course. That's that's you know I, sh- I, I was ready for that.
2: <laughs> Before we moved from the wall, the image kept coming to me of this wise old maner named Arthur, that of course is pronounced like Arthur, um, uh-huh. uh, who is a friend of my dear friend's Alan Maureen. And he, he said at one point, if the stones of the wall won't fit together by themselves, no amount of mortar will make it
1: work. (laughs) I love that.
2: You know, because that's sometimes yeah. what we do. That's such a beautiful image to me. Mm-hmm. I've never actually put it out into the world somewhere. So I may stick it in here somewhere. Uh, uh, oh yeah. Um, just because I think that that's like you know that's what we do sometimes. We look at it. We're like, yeah, this isn't going to quite work. But maybe I just smet. You know, put a little bit more of this cement in here. You're like, nah. no. You got to make the stones fit right. together before you. You, know. you have
1: to take the time to to look at the stones you can't just assume because that's the thing about mortar is that you stop looking at the shape of the stone because you think oh the, I got the mortar why do I need to look at the stone for mm-hmm. so you have to look at each stone you have to say what's its shape what's its size how 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 you know what's its weight how does it fit in here what's the what's the negative space here you have all these decisions to make that if you think I got mortar, I'll just stick it together. You don't get there. And you don't make a wall with any, with any degree of beauty or integrity. You have, and that's what I was, you know, it, it was, and Adrian was talking about that She said, you have to play every note. You have to play every note. Every note has to have that, that same degree of integrity. Every note is both the end of the journey and the impetus to go further.
2: That's it for today's show. May you go much further with many beautiful notes of your own or others' making to lighten your step. My great thanks to Rindy Eckert for taking time to talk with me and play for us. In addition to musical illustrations from his 1966 Steinway Grand Piano, Rindy composed all the other pieces featured in this episode, except, of course, for intro and outro, furnished as always by Schaefer Jane who will be playing in Toronto on Saturday, July 15th, if you're not too far away and weren't able to catch him on his recent international and U.S. tours. Now, here's the thing, you guys. If you're not my mom, hi, Mom, you probably listened to a range of other podcasts, and you may have noticed the team of editors, mixers, producers, sound engineers, et all, listed at the end of every episode. For Point of Learning, it's just me. Now, I love making these shows, and heaven knows it takes me long enough to get them ready for you, but that's because I want them to sound great and be relevant whenever you listen, unless you already missed Schaefer's Toronto gig, in which case, I'm sorry about that. But my point is, please go ahead and share this episode with anyone you think would especially appreciate Rindy's take on art and life. My most effective marketing team is you. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. I'm Peter Horn, and I'll be back at you just as soon as I can with another episode all about what and how and why we learn. See you then.
1: I'm going to carry that image of the wall with me because that wall that you were talking about, your, man, your, with your main friend with Arthur. Because that is so... It's a, such a simple and beautiful way of describing that process of education and it goes back to the, to this instrument these instruments and the movement and all of the things that i'm talking about it's all about the individual stone <laughs> the space that that's going to go into and then it's like take it in take it in and t- you know see it and then you have a chance if you don't see it th- then you don't have a chance <laughs>
2: It's gorgeous, man. I love it.